0: Afternoon, Peter and John went to the temple to pray. They met up with a man who was born handicapped, lame, unable to stand. His friends would bring him to the temple to beg for alms from faithful Jews. And we're going to learn tonight, he was over 40 years old. He was a grown man. And he'd been there probably week in and week out for years and was well-known. So Peter looked at him, reached out his hand, and said, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but what I have I I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he takes him by the hand, raises him to his feet, and he's made whole and strong. His response is exuberance. He's experienced the, the healing and the power of the Holy Spirit, and he can't keep it in, and he's jumping and running and shouting in an environment where you just don't do that, in the temple of God. And so that draws a crowd. And he's hanging on to Peter, and he's hanging on to John. And so uh, it's clear there right in the middle of it, Peter takes the opportunity to preach. And that brings us to Acts 4. Now, on their way into the temple, they told us what time it was. It was the middle of the afternoon, almost Close of business, almost sundown when they needed to stop for the day. This is where we're going to pick up. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the guard, the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them. Not the way we lay hands on. They they grabbed them. They absconded with them. Put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. That's why Luke made sure to tell us what time they went in, because they won't get to deal with this today. They're going to deal with it by, by bringing together the Sanhedrin, the elders of Israel, 70 men, whose job it was to judge matters of Jewish religion. But they can't gather them all there at that late hour. So they locked these men in jail. However, many of those who heard the word believed, in in spite of opposition, in spite of, of these men even being imprisoned, Peter and John... The people who saw the man healed saw the power of the Holy Spirit and heard the preaching of the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And what Luke does here is is he follows an ancient rule where they would count the men and and we'll assume what the total might be based on that. It would be more helpful if he counted everybody, but he counted only the men. Uh, But normally in a household you've got also the woman, and then maybe one, two, or more children. So we're, we could be talking ten, fifteen, thousand, twenty 15,000, 20 people now who have joined those who believed. So what's going on here? In verse 1, we see four groups of people, in addition to Peter and John. We see the, the, the people as they spoke to the people. These are just Jews who came to the temple to worship, heard a commotion, ran over to see what's going on, and hearing Peter preach. The the, uh, priests. Now, these are the Levites whose responsibility it is to oversee the worship and the teaching and all of this that goes on in the temple. Their job to teach the people, not a bunch of Galilean fishermen. They owned the corner here for, for teaching in the temple. The captain of the temple. Now, The authority is Rome. Everything is under the authority of Caesar. Under Caesar is Herod. Under Herod is Pilate. And then under him is the Roman army. But there's a problem. The the temple of God is sacred and it's holy and no Gentiles can go past the outer court. You can't go in there to police that area. So the Romans can't do it, so they allowed the high priest to have a a small armed guard of his own whose job it was to make sure that what went on in the temple was not insurrection against Rome. By this time, the high priest is appointed by Caesar. He's he's a Jew and, and he oversees the faith, but... The Romans can remove him if he's not obedient. So, so this is the guard that arrested Jesus that night. They they came and got him. These were the, the temple guard. These are Jews authorized, sanctioned by Rome to be armed to police the temple. And then this Sadducees. Now, when the Old Testament ends, we don't know anything about the Pharisees or the Sadducees. And when the New Testament starts, they're everywhere. And they've, they've popped up. What's happened in the meantime is these two parties, main ones, sound familiar. Two main parties opposing each other, fighting for power. The Sadducees had authority over the temple, the, 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 the central house of God. That, that was their territory their political priority was to keep the peace with Rome. Because if we offend Caesar, then we're going to lose the temple. Theologically, the big thing that defined them is they don't believe in the resurrection. We're at Acts 4. They don't believe there's a resurrection from the dead. In fact, Paul, at a later time, we're we're going to see him brought before the Sanhedrin, this very body comprised primarily of Pharisees and Sadducees, and he's going to say, I'm here because I preach the resurrection. And and the Sadducees say, there is no resurrection. But everybody else says, yay, Paul. And they start arguing among themselves and forget about Paul. The big issue that, that they really had a problem with, these are the people who came to Jesus and said, we've got a, a riddle. There was a man who, who died, and um, his brother married his wife and then he died and his brother married her and so on. Down through all the brothers in the resurrection, whose wife is she? And that was a a riddle they would use to make fun of the idea that there's a resurrection. Uh, So they are, we're going to find, deeply disturbed by the fact that Peter and John preached the resurrection. So all the power here has met, assembled to oppose Peter and John, greatly disturbed that they taught the people, that's what bothered the priests, and preached the resurrection in Jesus from the dead. That's what bothered the Sadducees. And they laid hands on him, that's the guards. And they locked him up because it was already late. And despite that, the numbers swelled over 5,000 people. Now, overnight, they lock him up, they sit and, and they they stew and they pray and they think and they wait and verse five it came to pass the next day their rulers, elders, scribes, the, the Sanhedrin, the council. Oh, watch this, as well as Annas the high priest, he should be there. Caiaphas, that's his father in law, former. High priest John Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest. Talk about packing the court to make sure it goes his way. He he brought everybody he could bring, which is not normal practice. So he's overnight he's gathered his crew to to load the Sanhedrin and make sure that his perspective is carried. These are the actually the people who went to Pilate and asked for Jesus to be crucified. These these are the the leaders who had him scourged, the men in this room. And that's just been a couple of months ago. When they set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power, by what name have you done this? By what power? Who do you think you are to do this? Now, they don't specify the this. Two thises have happened. One is the healing and the other is the preaching. Who do you think you are to do this? Now, Peter's going to jump on it and start with the healing because that we're going to find is undeniable. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, who, Who do you think you are to come in here and heal a lame man? Now, I want you to catch the fact that these are the religious authorities who should rejoice and praise God that a man's suffering has been alleviated. They, they've walked past this man every day, going into the house of God and seen that, that he can't work. He probably never married because he couldn't provide. He's a beggar. He lives in terrible poverty and now he can walk. They should be celebrating, rejoicing. Who do you think you are to do this? By what name? By what authority? So Peter, in verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, catch that expression, filled with the Holy Spirit, because you're going to see it again with reference to the whole church. This is not a new occurrence. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and so was the church. And so are all those who who believe when they are saved. So it's it's not that he's, he's refilled. It's just because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Said to them, rulers... Of the people and elders of Israel. If this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man. By what means he's been made well? Well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Is Peter ashamed of of Christ? Not a bit. Whom you crucified. God has raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you whole. Peter's just getting started. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. So, So the filling of the Holy Spirit is empowering Peter to stand up. Now remember, the last time Peter was close to these people... He was in the courtyard warming by the fire while Jesus is being tried and scourged and Peter is is he wants to know so he's hanging close but a servant girl young girl powerless I know who you are no you don't you're with Jesus nope third time no nope no and then he curses Jesus, and the rooster crows. That was Peter last time. That was Peter without the filling of the Holy Spirit. Scared of the servant girl, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit is standing toe-to-toe with the religious leaders of Israel saying, you crucified him. You're the builders who rejected him. He's the chief cornerstone. I love that. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what changed Peter. He says, are we judged for a good deed done to a helpless man? Now they've they've gathered to judge, and, and they're supposed to judge the guilty. And here they judge the righteous. By what authority? Jesus the Christ of Nazareth. And there's a lot here. The name Jesus. That's what we call him. In the Hebrew is Yeshua. Joshua. That was, that was what they would have called him, Yeshua which was a common Jewish name. That was a human name. That was the, there were a lot of them around. Then he adds the title Christ, which is Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah from Nazareth. Yeah, that one, specifically, because that was how he was known. Because often in their world, you were so-and-so of so-and-so. Steve of Valdez, or or whatever. So he says the human... (laughs) Uh, The name, he says that he's the Messiah, and he says exactly who he's talking about and where he's from. And then he says, whom you crucified. Now Peter said this in both of the sermons he's preached so far. He said it to the crowds in Acts 2 when... um, they, they gathered and said, what are all these tongues? And he, he said, Jesus, whom you crucified, speaking to the, uh, the crowds. He said it again in Acts 3, speaking to the crowd in the temple. Now he's actually saying it to the people who crucified Jesus, to the people who didn't simply cheer for it, the people who orchestrated it whom God raised from the dead. Peter can't preach without getting to the resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise, this is all a lie. We should all just go home and go on with our lives because there's nothing for us. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he's just another man who died, and they've all done it, and you'll do it, and I'll do it. But if, if, if God raised him from the dead, that changes everything. And so Peter, an eyewitness, says God raised him. How do we know? By him this man stands here before you Hold. Go back to Acts 2. I can preach because you hear me preaching in a language I've never learned. And you see all these men, and you know it's the truth, because we're just from Galilee, and here we are speaking Arabic. This is obviously God's doing. Here's a man who's never walked in his... His life jumping and leaping, obviously God's doing, therefore the message preached must be from God. And then he's going to quote Psalm 118, to the scribes, the teachers, the elders, the stone which was rejected by you builders. They're they're supposed to build the house of Israel, and they go, nah, there's, there's nothing we can do with... This one. And they toss it away into the rubbish heap and God picks it up and makes it the main stone that, that orients the whole building. They, they missed the Messiah. They rejected the cornerstone. So Peter points that right at them and then he adds, and there's not salvation in any other. No other name. What name is it? It's the name of Jesus and this is the only name that saves. We must be Saved. It's not an option. We'll be saved or we'll be lost. It's not like, hmm, maybe I just... I I, I want to sprinkle God into my life because that would really um, add some, some happiness I might not have otherwise. No, it's about eternity. We must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men... They marveled. Now, every time the Holy Spirit has shown His power, somebody has marveled. Tongues, the healing, and now the boldness of Peter and John, people marvel. And they, and they realize, now watch this. If you don't get anything else, get this. They had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. How do you argue that God hasn't empowered your message when here's a man you've healed standing right in front of you, and you healed him in the name of Jesus. So they commanded them to go outside. Yeah, we got a reason here. We gotta figure things out. Go to the hall and wait while we figure out what to do with you. They conferred among them themselves. And they said, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable that a miracle has been done through them is evident to all. I mean, there's no denying it. But so that it spreads no further among the people. Watch this. These are the religious leaders. Said, 'How how can we keep the word of God from spreading? Make sure nobody hears God's good work. How do you get that far gone? We'll talk about that in a moment. Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. We can look back and see the futility of that. These are people who have a supernatural power from God to just speak and heal a man who's never walked. How how are you going to threaten them? Well, a few months ago, they nailed Jesus to the cross, but... They don't have the popular support to do that now, and they know it. They fear the people. So here's what they see. The boldness of Peter and John. Boldness is, is is a key term here. You're going to see it again. So either mark it in your Bible, mark it in your mind. And perceived they were uneducated. That means there's a lot they didn't know, and untrained, which they... They didn't know how to act. They they are here among the elites of Jewish society, and they don't talk like them, and they don't act like them, and, and, and they're not of that world, but, man, they just have a boldness to them. Is it good to be educated? Sure. Paul was. Paul was brilliant. Whoever wrote Hebrews was a brilliant Old Testament Scholar, he had dug deep for years. Good, good for him. But here's what I know. Being trained and being educated is nothing like being with Jesus. Study to show yourself approved. Absolutely. Learn as much as you can of the Word of God because God desires that you know Him. But knowledge in the head, data that you, you, you get and are able to, to regurgitate. Apart from the presence of God through the Holy Spirit, it's nothing. They've been with Jesus. They they don't know what we know. They don't act like we act, but goodness, they've been with Jesus. And the beautiful thing about that is that it's accessible to every single person. You don't have to go to school for that. You just have to be with Jesus to, to, to draw near to God and let him shape you the way he shaped Peter and John. I love that. And seeing the man who had been healed, they could say nothing against it. I mean, here's the, the obvious, evident power of God. What are you going to to say? He wasn't healed, that's not him? It's an illusion? No, it's, it's so clear there's nothing to say. What shall we do to these men? They didn't even think about, are we wrong? has God done the greatest work we've always prayed that He would do and sent Messiah, and we're on the wrong side of things, and we need to get right with God, never occurs to them. What should we do to these men? How do we deal with our enemies who threaten our power so that it spreads no further among the people? Okay, How can we prevent the message of God from spreading. That's what Satan does. That's what the world does. That's not what God's people do. Mm. Well, they saw what we did to Jesus. We're not prepared to do that to them, but they don't know that. Threaten them. We're going to take our power and our force and we're going to put a thumb on you to keep you from preaching that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Good luck. We look back on it and say, how how wicked and how futile is that? But how often do we, when we have to choose between my kingdom and the kingdom of God, do the same thing? Where we, we, we hang on to whatever power we have over our lives rather than to submit to the call, the holiness, the authority, and the power of God. We do the same things in, I think, smaller ways. So they called them in, 18, and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. That's enough out of you. Peter and John answered, (laughs) and the irony here, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, You judge. This is the assembly gathered to judge. And he says, you want to judge? Okay. Should people obey man or God? Religious leaders, scribes, Levites. And their job is to tell people to obey God rather than man. So you judge. You want to judge? Judge that. We cannot but speak the things that we've seen and heard. We were there. We saw it. We know it. So when they had further threatened them, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean it. Have, have you ever been in a store and seen a parent who's lost control of their kid? I'm, I'm warning you. I'm like, that kid don't believe you. You, you better get it together. And no, no, it didn't work last time either, did it? That's, that's where they are. Look how foolish they look. They let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people. Last time, they were able to agitate the people to call out for the death of Jesus. It's not like that now. They've lost the support. Since they all glorified God for what had been done, a man's suffering has been relieved. God has moved. The people who go to the temple to pray have a godly perspective, and the leaders whose job it is to teach them the word have Satan's perspective. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been done. He's, there's no arguing it. His, his handicap was established and now it's gone. And being let go, they went to their companions their and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now imagine being the church. It's just been a few months ago, Jesus was scourged and, and beaten brutally and nailed alive to the cross and hung up there to die, and you've you watched him die, and now they've got Peter and John, these same people. Imagine the night they had, praying, grieving at the loss they probably expected. And so what a shock it is, Peter, John, come back alive. And they reported all that they heard. When they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Now watch this. Persecution is striking the church. They've been arrested, threatened. How do they respond? Oh, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why do the nations rage and the people... "...plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the, the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done." Lord, look on their threats and give to your servants that with all boldness, there it is again, they may speak your word, stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed... The place where they were assembled was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with, there it is a third time, oldness. These people thought probably that that Peter was going to be crucified next to John, just like they did Jesus. And it's not a big leap to go from that, thinking that all night, to when are they going to come after me? And their first response is, Lord, make us bold. Don't let them scare us off. So we'll explore here. The first thing they do is to reflect on two great things that God has done. One is, you are the Lord God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. They go back to creation. You had the power to make all of this. And then they go to the revelation. Chen of God, who by the mouth of your servant David have said. So he, he's a God who speaks. God, you made it all and you talked to us. How can we listen to them? Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? Are, are they conspiracy theorists? Or is there a conspiracy? The nations plot vain things against God. They rage against the Lord and his... His Christ, the kings of the earth take their stand, which we see in Revelation. There's this alliance from Herod to Pilate to Gentiles to Jews, and what they don't realize is that they're under the sovereign authority of God to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They they think they're raging against you, and they're just playing right into your hands, God. So, Lord, help us be bold. They don't pray, take the persecution away. They pray, Lord, don't let us quit. And then they pray for spiritual power, stretching out your hand to heal, and that by, (laughs) and the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We don't want them to back off. We just want to make sure we're faithful. And then you have the, the power of the Holy Spirit. The place was shaken, they were all filled. Now, just like the apostles, they, they had already been filled, but, but it, was, it was stirred. It was evident that the Spirit was working in them, and then they spoke with boldness. So what happens after? The multitude of those who believe were one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. A bunch of communists. We've hinted at it, okay? The big answer comes next week in Acts 5. Short answer is, nope, not like that. That, that the, the attitude of heart they had was that people matter above stuff, and that'll be expanded on in, in a week when two people die, right in, right in church, right in the presence of God. Imagine you go to church and somebody goes up to the altar and drops dead the judgment of God. And then their wife walks in and drops dead, the judgment of God. Would God have your attention then? Would you think he means it? Okay, that's next week. Don't miss it. Okay? With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection. That's what they preached. It's not feel good. It's not be good. It's Jesus died and rose again. You better get right with God. And watch this. When their hearts are right, they're willing to to value people over stuff. They have their priorities right, and they're preaching the gospel. And what happens? What was upon them all? Great grace. I love that expression. Because they're right with God and with man, and they're preaching the word of God, and, and just the presence of God is on them. The grace of God greatly upon them, and there wasn't anyone who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed them to each as it, as anyone had need. And again, in a week, we're 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 we're, we're going to realize what this is, which is not socialism or communism, and. Um, Peter will speak specifically and clearly about it. But they've got unity, they've got boldness, they've got the power of the Holy Spirit, they've got right priorities toward each other, and they just live in great grace. And I think often that if we had these priorities and that kind of witness, we live also with grace in a way that we don't always experience. Okay, one, one more. It's a teaser of things yet to... Come and, and Joseph, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which means son of encouragement, a Levite from Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, a lot of people have done that, but, but Barnabas gets introduced here, and then this scene will move away from Barnabas, but we've met him here. You know, that there is a rule in the movies, you don't hang a gun on the wall unless somebody's going to get shot, okay? You don't mention Barnabas here and then go talk about other things unless Barnabas is coming back later. So what do we know about him? We know that they changed his name, son of encouragement, possibly as a a bit of a pun. Okay, Because remember Pilate, he gave the Jews a choice. Jesus or Barabbas. Which sounds a lot like Barnabas. The Hebrew... Bar means son of, like the bar mitzvah is the son of the covenant. It means you've arrived as a, as a man. Barabbas means son of the father, which is really ironic because Jesus is the eternal son of the eternal father. Barnabas, son of encouragement, who's named that by the apostles. He's a Jew, he's a Levite, but he's not... From Palestine. He's not from Judea or Galilee. He's from an island over by Greece. And he owned some property, sold it, and um, brought the money to the apostles to distribute to the poor. So we meet him. We'll see him again. I'll ask you very quickly any any questions before we wrap it up.